three months ago or so when the conflict started up in the Middle East. Not started up, but, you know, started again. A really, really dear friend of mine was deeply impacted. And she actually had lost so many people in her life. And it was really, really challenging and really heartbreaking. And I talked to her about it. And then when I started to share my views and opinions on what's happening and my desire for the war to end, it really upset her and she actually hasn't spoken to me since. And for me, that was going through a process of such deep grief involved in that because she's a very, very dear soul sister friend and the idea of not being in touch with her really hurt me. And then a few months later, my amazing friend Vera, who some of you might know because I share a lot about her on Instagram, she's an incredible human and coach and leader. She had a women's circle in her home and I brought some items. I brought some crystals that actually this friend from Israel had given me and this note that she gave me with the crystals. And when I read that note that night, I realized it said, these are crystals of strength to support you in your work and your mission. And it almost was like funny to read that because I was like, wow, I think she doesn't mean what I'm doing now or what I'm feeling now or my mission now, but that's what it feels like that even though physical body is like angry with me her spirit supports me and it gave me a lot of relief in that moment a lot of just comforting and soothing to all the grief that I had been feeling obviously about the war and also about losing this friendship which I don't know if I've lost it forever or not but for the moment it is lost and today just moments ago I interviewed an incredible human and I am serious when I tell you if you listen to one conversation this year it should be this conversation because this conversation is about grief and loss and hope and forgiveness and peace and those words are very you know woo and out there but when you're talking to somebody who actually lost his parents as one of the first victims of this conflict, of this war, and he preaches a message of peace. It is really, it's a matter of embodiment. It's not just a matter of talking. As one of the advice that he gave me was essentially to embody what I believe and talk less, just like you do with kids. So that's all I'll say. I am left so emotional after this conversation. It was so profound and so deep on so many levels. And I'm so honored to have had this opportunity. And I really ask you from the bottom of my heart to share this with as many people as you know, because the messages that we are hearing from the Middle East are really messages of fear and hatred and revenge and so we really need a different message to be heard and this is the message that was shared 
in this episode. Welcome to Deep Within. On this show, we dive deep into the nervous system, emotional healing, and transformation from within the body. When I started my personal development journey, it was all in the mind, doing affirmations, visualizations, listening to endless motivational videos. And I found that this approach without actually getting my body on board only left me in deeper shame and distress. So this is actually how I discovered somatic body-based healing. My name is Marina Yanai Triner and I am the compassionate somatic coach. I am gentle, sensitive, and I love deep conversations. I am so, so, so excited and so glad you're here so we can feel like we're together in our own little bubble of deep talks. So I'm so excited that you're here today and I'm so grateful. I know your time is crazy busy. So thank you, thank you, thank you for making this time. And I want to dive right in and ask you, what is your biggest message that is on your heart that you want people to know and hear? My biggest message is that peace is achievable and peace, like hope, is something we need to make we need to create and uh, just like love we cannot make it on ourselves we need partners and that I have an amazing partners Palestinian and Israelis that are making peace and will achieve it in four to six years from now and we need the world to support us to amplify our message to strengthen us on social media uh, to share it with others because the power of imagination, of, of dreaming, is something we stop using here in this region between the river and the sea. And I'm dreaming again. I'm dreaming again. And uh, I'm going to make my dream come true. Do you feel like this ability to dream is something you always had since you were a little kid? Um, first, yes. I'm a dreamer and I'm an entrepreneur, so I know how to make my dream come true. Uh, and I'm 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 doing many uh, group talk on, and public talks, many uh, long before October the seventh. And uh, usually I name the, the my talks or, or tours under uh, visionary, entrepreneurship, and inspiration. Uh, and I'm sharing I I'm sharing dreams as I do my uh, public speak that my first dream in life that I can remember was to uh, move out from the kibbutz I was born. This is like was between the age of three to four. Uh, I really wanted to move out from the kibbutz and at the year of 14, I fulfilled this dream. And then while walking the Shvil Israel, Israel National Trail here in Israel from north to south, I dream about a network of hostels along the trail. It was back in 2004. And in 2005, I start fulfilling this dream. I was opening the first ever guest house in the old city of Nazareth and now and later what became the Abram Hostel Group with hostel in Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Eilat, Sinai, even the Philippines. And uh, I'm sitting now from Tel Aviv, uh, Abram Hostel Tel Aviv. And when we opened it in 2016, my mom, uh, who was the mandala painter, I hope we'll have more time to speak about my mom. Of she, course. 
she gave me a, a mandala a paint a, she painted as a as a gift as a blessing and what she wrote on this mandala was we can fulfill all, all our dreams if we have the courage to chase them mm. so i always dream I feel like the reason that I wanted to interview you is number one, because I love your vision and I'm a fellow Israeli and I support you so much. And number two is because you're so inspiring as a person. And I feel like people can learn so much from you in their daily life. And you just mentioned one of the things. So I want to kind of ask you questions about the conflict and everything that's going on, but also about you. And one of my questions is, how 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 do people um kind of deal with the obstacles that they have you know because when we have this big dream it's very different from our reality and we have to see a new reality it's kind of like when you see peace it's so different from what you have how are you able to make that to go through that gap Uh, wow, that's a really, really good question. I, and I, I asked myself this question. And then I, I saw, so to answer it, I basically mapped more than 20 initiatives. I took a major role in, in, in executing. And the, the steps or the, uh, that, or the um, um, what uh, brought all those uh, initiatives into uh, into one of a few uh, stages first is the dreaming dreaming is so important so this is why you, it's, i'm happy we started with it because everything starts with a dream and after dream you must have values what are your values core values and then it's building partnership partnership with partners that believe in your dream and sharing your values. And then you need to sit with your partners and build the strategy plan. How are you going to execute? How, how do you sketch? Literally, how you build, them, you build a model of your dream. If it's a hostel, if it's a, a political party or peace, you need to model it. And then after you have the uh, strategy plan, you need to execute it. And after you execute it, This is the second most important um, st stage. You need to constantly look for a meaning. Because, because when you lose the meaning of the initiative of the dream, you are losing the dream. And uh, this is exactly where I am now. So I have a goal to reach peace in four to six years. I have the dream. I have the values, equality, justice, security, reconciliation. You shall not revenge. You shall respect your enemies. And based on the dream and values, I'm meeting many people. And I ask them what I'm going to ask you now. Do you want to be my partner? Absolutely. And that's, I feel like that's part of the reason that I'm creating this episode, which is very different from what I usually talk about. It's because I want people to hear this message and I want you to tell me and all of us how we can support you. So Marina, we are already partners and you are already supporting us in our shared dreams. Shared dream. So we are already partners. 
And now we're building a plan. And one of the steps in one of the rubrica or uh, uh, phases we need to go is to amplify the dream. And we are doing it as we speak now. So what we are doing now, we are dreaming together and we are creating hope. And this is where we are now, just three months and a week or uh, a week or two weeks from October the 7th. This is exactly where we are supposed to be. And if we speak in two to three months from now, both of us will have a much more solid plan. And then we'll execute it. And then, and we'll build more partnership as we go, as we follow the path for peace. And we, we are already working on it. We are working on it. And we are working on it together. And it's not just the two of us. They are, I don't want to say millions, but they're already ten thousands, dozen thousand of people, Israelis, Palestinians, and, and from the international community that are working with us. And it's so, it's so inspiring. It's so inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, and this is the voice that I want to be heard. And you know, when the war started, everybody like in my family was reading the news like frantically. And they were like, what should we do? And I was like, well, first of all, I'm not the president. Uh, so I don't know. And second of all, I don't want to think about that. I want to kind of open my heart right now. Like, I just want to listen to people who are expressing empathy that I had this craving. I was like, I just need to hear empathy. Like, this is so crazy. And to this moment, that voice is not loud enough, you know, of course, on the news and, and stuff like that. So I really want that to be heard. And what I'm hearing from you is when you have a vision, that's kind of crazy. Like it, it's different from reality. You need to like your meaning kind of comes from your values. Would you say like that meaning that you tap, keep tuning back into, is it coming from your values that you said, and you're just like feeling that. And then your partners, like those are the key things that I heard. Meaning I put it uh, like in parallel. The meaning, I, I hope, I get, I hope, and I believe, and I know most of the time that we are in the era of meaning, that we are not just looking for happiness and, and uh, rich and, and to be rich, we are looking for the meaning. As in, let's, let's start with individual, in, uh, with ourselves. Why are we walking, uh, waking up in the morning? Why are we doing whatever we are doing? We need a meaning for each of our action. And so this is the meaning. Why am I doing what I'm doing? And on the other side, and then I, I've been thinking about it through COVID. I had a lot of time, business, there was no business. I done a lot of reading and talking to people. So we are at the stage of a three global crises, the political crisis, the environmental crisis, and the economic crisis in each country, continent, state and by every month there is it's uh, performing in a different way the crisis but it's a global three crises so how do you connect from the crisis we are uh, all uh, experiencing to for to the meaning so i connect them with a line that i want to be part of the solution if i am as an individual but then also as a family 
and as a group of friends and as a, a legal identity or a company like the Abram, if we are able to be part of the, uh, we can be part of the solution, then I find the meaning. So, every, so when I see a crisis or a, a market failure or, or something that I, I think can be better, I want to be part of the solution. I want to be part of the solution. And then I, I'm, I'm living a very, very meaningful life. And I'm very happy. I'm very happy even though I lost my parents just three months ago. But I'm a very happy person. Yeah, maybe you can tell us about that. Um, so like I, like I said, I was born in Kibbutz. It's a, a, a community, way of life. In unique to Israel, and my boss parents were born in a kibbutz, one in Iram, and my, my father in Iram, and my mom in Ruhama, not far from the Gaza Strip. And my boss grandparents were a Zionist pioneer immigrating to Palestine under the British mandate in the 1930s and something, leaving their families in Eastern Europe and just coming here on a mission, on a meaning with the meaning. And uh, so my parents got married. They moved to live at my father's kibbutz, just one and a half kilometer from the Gaza border. And that's where they raised my three sisters, my young brother and myself. And my first dream come, came true when I was 14 and we moved to live in Netiva Asara. It's a nearby community and it's just next to the border of Gaza on the north side. Just the, 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 it's bordering Gaza. Uh, and like many young Israelis, I went backpacking around the world and my wife, Shlomit, studied electronic engineering in Tel Aviv University. We're traveling again, maybe later. We haven't reached Costa Rica, but we've been to South America. Uh, and, we, and then we start initiating tourism business and enterprise in Arab communities. We'll talk about it later. But on October the, uh, October the 7th, uh, I woke up in Binyamina. It's where I lived with Shlomit and our three children. Uh, waking up around 7.30, I check, checked my WhatsApp, uh, still from Ben, and I saw that uh, my dad wrote in, uh, in our group that there are sirens and, uh, and shooting and missiles and a lot of mess and noise, and they locked the house and they are in the safe room. Uh, crazy as it might sound, it's normal. It happens every few months, once a year. So I said, okay, another of this crazy day living here in, in the Middle East. And uh, so I went down to make coffee for Shlomit and for myself. And while the coffee was uh, boiling, I checked the news. And I saw on the news uh, that there is a, a Hamas invasion to the neighboring com Israeli communities. So I say, wow. I never remember anything like this happening. So I, I called my dad immediately. It was 7.40. And he said exactly what he said in the message. Uh, they locked the house. They're in the safe room. A lot of noise. I could hear my mom uh, in the background. Uh, and I told him, okay, send my love to mom. I love you. Be safe. Talk to you soon. And hang up. Uh, and again, watching the news and then uh, seeing the wall is being fallen and Hamas trucks in Sderot. Sderot is where I live. I, I grew up. 
I said, wow, this is really, really crazy. And I said, I just uh, talked uh, with that five minutes ago, but I should call him again. So at 7.45, I called him again, but this time there was no answer. And so I said, uh, maybe it's uh, the cellular uh, communication went down or the electricity, but I called my sisters. They all live in Israel. I called my brother who's, who lives in London. We tried to call them, their neighbors, there was no answer. So we said we better gather together uh, uh, to be together. And uh, we grouped at my sister's house, uh, which is not far from me, with the eight grandchildren, uh, grown uh, uh, grandchildren from the age of uh, 19 to 12. And like we reached there around 11, trying to call everyone with no success. But we did with a text message some of their neighbors and we told them, look, we, know, we want to know what's going on. Like we don't need a delegation or official. Tell us what's, what's happening. And uh, around five in the afternoon, we were able to reach the security, uh, one of the security volunteers of the community of Native Asara. And he told us that my parents' house is burned into ashes and there are two bodies inside. And how did you process that? So uh, first we stay, we're going to start the Shiva. Shiva is the Jewish way of mourning. It's basically a seven days of a wake ceremony when all the, the dead, like the, the dead person or, are coming to pay their condolences and friends and family. So we say usually there is an official announcement about it from the government or a, a rabbi or some, something like that. But we say we are not waiting anyone. We're going to start the Shiva. And it happens to be the first Shiva of the world. Every, everyone else was waiting. So start, start, my brother already in Saturday noon, before hearing the bad news, my brother already bought tickets from London for himself. So from Sunday morning, we started a very, very intensive Shiva. Thousands of people um, that came to pay their condolences. And every morning we group just the brothers and sisters. And every evening with the grandchildren and our uh, partners. And I think it was the second or third morning that we said we want our personal strategy and lost to have a universal, universal message. And we want this message to be, we are saying no to revenge. We don't want any revenge. This is what, that was our feeling that we don't need any revenge. And after a week of crying, I'm a really, really good cry. Uh, I know how to cry and also help other people to cry. I'm thinking also I, I will read a, a poem later. If it's okay. You're already making me cry, but yeah, <laughs> you're like, ha ha, I know how to make her cry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it will happen. I'm already teary-eyed. <laughs> and as we, and, and also those who came to the Shiva were survivors from the terrorist attack from Niram, from Netiva Asara. Survivor that it was the first time they were able to share their survival uh, story. And then bereaved family from October of seven, the seventh came. And they shared the story how their brother or son 
or, or mother were murdered. So it was so intense. Wow. For the first time, they were able to share their story. And we were listening to all those stories and at the same time griefing our own parents and holding it together for our children. So it was very powerful, very powerful. And uh, I used to say till uh, three weeks ago, I used to say that nothing can prepare you, prepare you, how you will act, how you will behave, how, wh what you will say if your both parents will be murdered in an enormous terrorist attack that will kill so many of your friends, of their parents, their children, some will be hostages, nothing can prepare you. But then I realized it was just a, a thought I, re I, I received three weeks ago that all my life prepared me. All my life prepared me for October the 7th. In what sense? How do you feel? In the sense that I, for my mom, I breastfeed the, the courage to chase my dreams. For my father, who was, was a farmer, he was an amazing, he was admirable farmer. Uh, number one expert in Israel in, in wheat and sunflowers and other crops. And he, he culti cultivated not just the fields, but also generation of farmers and generation of professors in the academy. And he also cultivated me cultivated each cell in my body to believe and make the future to be a better future. And I've been involved for the last 20 years in business and social initiatives between Jews and Arabs, Israelis and Palestinians. And I know what I, and I know, I learned through those years that when an Israeli and Palestinian, when we are looking into the past, we see a different past. It's, it's amazing. We totally see a different past. If it's from our holy books, the Bible and the Koran, and if it's for the Zionist movement and the Palestinian national movement, and if it's independence of Israel and the Nakba and the wars that been, we have been gone through since then, totally different past. When we look into the present, we see a totally different present. Totally different present of October the 7th, what happened, happened to the uh, Israeli communities on the Israeli side of the border, what happened to the people in Gaza, totally different present. But when we look into the future, when we look into the future, we see the same future. And all my life prepared me to see, to look into this future on October the 7th. And all my life prepare me to say, you shall not revenge. I shall not revenge. And, uh, and this is just the lessons that I received all my life. And now it's so easy for me to share these messages. I'm not working on it. It's not taking any energy, energy out of me. Otherwise, I'm getting uh, energized by it. So when I want to share, to share a story with you, a, a, poet, a poem with you. So two weeks after, uh, after October the 7th, 
a friend I know from Nazareth, whose father was a very, very uh, known uh, poet. Uh, and he had a, a small uh, souvenir shop just off the Basilica of Annunciation. And he's calling me, and he's telling me, uh, and this was like October 20th. He told me, that I, know, I knew his dad died many years ago, but he told me, my dad wrote a, a, a poem that was about you. He wrote a poem about you, and I, I want to read it to you. So if it's okay, I will read it to you now. At times I wish I could meet in a duel the man who killed my father and raised our home, expelling me into a narrow country. And if he killed me, I would rest at last. And if I were ready, I would take my revenge. But if it come to light when my rival appeared, that he had a mother waiting for him, or a father who, had, who would put his right hand over the heart's place in his chest whenever his son was late, even by just quarter an hour, for a meeting that they had set, then I would not kill him, even if I could. Likewise, I would not murder him if if it were soon made, if it were soon made clear that he had a brother or, or sisters who loved him and constantly longed to see him, or if he had a wife to greet him and children who couldn't bear his absence and whom his gifts would thrill, or if he had friends or companions, neighbors in you or allies from prison or a hospital room, or classmates from his school asking about him and sending him regards. But if he turned, if he turned out to be on his own, cut off like a branch from a tree, without a mother or a father, with neither a brother nor sister, wifeless, without a child, and without kin or neighbors or friends, colleagues or companions, then I would add not a thing to his pain. Within that aloneness, not the, not the torment of death and not the, thar the sorrow of passing away. Instead, I, I would be content to ignore him when I passed him by on the street, as I convinced myself that paying him no attention is a revenge by itself. So when the son of, uh, of, of Ali Muhammad Ta called me and I read the po this amazing uh, poem. It's, uh, it was shocking. And it took me, uh, I have, so I read it once when he sent it to me and I haven't read it till uh, maybe 10 days ago. But now I keep continuing and continuing and reading it to everyone I can because no revenge should be a universal message. It should be uh, one of the 10 amendments. You shall not revenge. Revenge should be only in the end of God's. For us human beings, we should exercise the power and the ability to reconcile and forgive. 
And uh, I've been going on like on the last uh, three and a half months on a spiritual transformation. It's, it's very strong. It's very hard. But I'm feeling that I'm, uh, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I feel like I only cried once on this podcast. And it was in the episode I recorded about the conflict. And it was when I was talking about what hurts me the most. And it's this revenge and how people just can't hold each other's pain at all. Like they're not able to, they're like in this black box and, and they can't. And my mom actually said to me, she's like, for your whole childhood, we explained to you and you just wouldn't listen. And I was like, what? You shouldn't trust people. And I said, it didn't, it didn't work, Bob. It didn't go through. Your message didn't work for me. And, you know, I think it is a human mm, instinct to revenge in a way. But what you're saying resonates so much with me because I've, I always think that it's like our spiritual journey, like our spiritual path to higher consciousness. Because we are animals, but we don't have to be. Like, we can be different also. And we can choose not to revenge, even though it's really hard. And I've actually lost really good friends from your region, from the South, for my views, which has been so challenging. So I feel like I'm going through kind of a grief too. Cannot compare to yours, but I feel that I'm going through this grief of like losing people just because of how I think and how I see things. And I just wonder what, maybe I need advice <laughs> from you. Um, how, how can we talk to people that we love that are just like their eyes are shut and they feel like revenge is the right thing. And we have to protect ourselves and we are in survival mode and this is what's going on. And you see it differently. And how can you actually also love them? So I think it's like uh, children, like educating children. It's not by uh, talking. It's not by arguing. It's by action. We need to show a role model that it's okay to cry. It's okay to grieve. And it's, and to teach them how to show empathy and forgiveness and reconciliation just we need to do it ourselves and not be shy about it we need to do it public like exactly like we are doing now and then it will be they will they need to show to see a role model we need to be a role model of forgiveness and reconciliation because and then we'll they will be now it's maybe just i it's not just the two of us but we are now just maybe a handful of human beings that act this way, we are much, much more. And we, we need to re, uh, resonance ourselves and to amplify each other. And it's so powerful. The power of forgiveness is like it can match the power of dreaming. And I learned it from uh, Hamza Awawde. Uh, he's a Palestinian peace activist. He, he's been my teacher in the, and support and 
that I really huge support for me and my family in the last uh, three months. And uh, what Hamza said in an interview uh, that he uh, a mutual interviewed with my brother Magen, he said, "I'm willing to forgive about the past. I'm willing to forgive about the present, but I won't forget myself and all the other if we're not gonna make the future a better future." So I was hearing it, and I say, "Wow, this is something that I need to. I need to." be observed in me. And I asked myself first, who is he forgiving to? And he's forgiving to me. He's willing to forgive me. Me as a, as a Jewish Israeli, who in, on his own narrative is to blame for the Nakba and for 57 years of occupation, oppression, no, no freedom of movement, gathering, speaking, hours of hours that is standing checkpoints, family members that uh, were killed by my Israeli army, the idea. So he's willing to forgive me, which was so powerful for him to say. So I say, okay, I want to be like Hamze. I want to be able to forgive, not just to call not to revenge. So I say, okay, I'm willing to forgive. So I said, the first step was, I'm forgiving the Hamas. I'm forgiving them. Wow. But I won't forgive, no, I won't forgive them if they won't make a better future. But for what they've done for the past and present, I forgive them. And then I also say to myself, because I, I'm holding the Israeli government accountable for my parents uh, being murdered because they didn't, they betrayed, they did, they promised them security and they failed. So they are accountable. And of course, I'm not in favor or a supporter of the Israeli government. But if I'm, if I'm willing to forgive the Hamas, I should be also able to forgive the Israeli government. And I for, I'm forgiving them. Both of them are irrelevant to me. I ignore them. I don't, I, when I go to protest, it's not against them. I'm protesting pro, pro equality. It's, it is called protest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pro, I'm pro equality and pro justice and pro reconciliation and pro peace. So it also put my 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 soul, spirit and body in, on ease. It's much easier for me to walk, to walk the street, to walk the sidewalks, to be a human being, just by forgiving. And again, I I want I'm a very modest person. <laughs> I'm very I'm a common I'm a common people. I'm not a scholar. I haven't finished. I haven't graduate my bachelor degree but I see I I'm a doer and I'm a dreamer and I do hope and I I, I am getting an amazing reaction amazing reaction on the streets on social media for my action and I want to be be become and this is this is my role 
Okay, if I want it or not. My role is to be to become a role model for forgiveness and reconciliation and hope. And and so when I'm speaking to someone, this is the words I'm using. I I would never say tell someone you are wrong. Because uh, maybe it's not at <laughs> first. Uh, I cannot know, but it won't help. What what would help is showing him a different role model, that there is a different path, and it's up to him to choose if we want to walk the path of revenge or the path of reconciliation. And I would show him, I would I would go there anyway, anyhow, and he would choose if he want to follow me or to follow another hundred years of revenge, fear, war, and hate. So I'm giving them an alternative. Sorry for speaking so much. No, please. Oh, I I just like trace my own kind of life history when you're talking. And I think about, I started being so fascinated with trauma because I went through a big trauma in high school. I had a very abusive relationship. And I was so fixated on, you know, being angry and hating the person. And, and then when one day the question that I asked myself, and I don't know where it came from, it was also like a spiritual experience, was what do I love about being a victim? And it just came to me, and so I started to reflect on that. And eventually I was able to really see the trauma of that person, you know, that person who hurt me, and really like just really, I mean, it, it impacted me every day, every day until I was able to see that and then just really release it. Like, I feel like I, I love the concept of forgiveness. I feel like this person doesn't even impact me anymore. You know, it's like I wish him the best. Like, I, I don't wish him anything bad. And I understand the place where he's coming from. And this is a very actually controversial topic in the trauma community. A lot of people say, you know, you don't have to forgive and, and that and all that. But I feel like it's for us even because it's just, it frees you. Like you said, you're walking around and you just feel more lightness instead of like holding all this like rage and thoughts about that person that's not really gonna help you. But again, it's a process. Like, I don't think people just are like, okay, I forgive and, and you're done, but it's kind of going through their own inner process. And, and I think what helped me is to see that other person. Like, why, just be fascinated. Like, why would they do that? What and and also with Hamas and with this whole thing, like I always think about why would somebody do that? Because they are a person like me. So something made them do that. And and I get really curious about it. And I think that's how empathy is able to come to me. Exactly. And if you will share your story, your personal story, your trauma story, your you deciding not to be a victim and what what you liked in being a victim and to try to work on that, it will give, it will be example for others, for other victims that wants also to be released from their trauma, but they are loop, they are, um, yes, they are looping this cycle. And this is exactly where Israel and Palestine are at the moment. So our uh, role is to show them that there is an alternative. 
and it's up to them to decide. So, um, and also that, that's why I, I, I really, again, thank you for inviting me. So, because this is how I learn. This is, I, I'm learning from others, from other, uh, from their experience, from their, from their history. And this is how, how I can become a better person and a better human being. So this is why it's so important to me now. I'm meeting people all the time, inspiring people. Uh, and I'm being inspired. And I try also to do my part and inspire others. But that's for them to decide. I'm what I can, I can do on my part. It just be very honest and and very talkative or be public, go public with my message. But again, it's not easy. It's not easy. But uh, you know, walk like when something come, we have a, like in Hebrew. It's it's really great also to translate it. It's a line from a poem. What come easily, go the same way. So, but what come through the to hard work and and unfortunately suffering, those lessons will stay. Yeah, so true. What just came to me to ask you is, what have been some of your most challenging conversations with Palestinian partners? Thank you for asking. <laughs> You know, I'm asking this because I, I actually reflected so much about how I would show up in dialogue as a participant when I used to sit in dialogue. And I sat in a group for two years to get my, my facilitator like certificate. And it, it was so funny because before that, I was like, I hate Palestinians. They should all die. So very extreme. And then in the circle, I was like, yes, yes. You're, you're right about everything you say and 100%. And now I feel like where there's more complexity, like I agree with some things, I disagree with other things, and I'm really craving to sit with Palestinians and just be honest, it's really hard. It's easier to be like, you're wrong or you're totally right. So I'm very curious about your experience. So again, I have, the, I have only one answer. It's from just one conversation, but was very, very powerful. So I sat for coffee with a Palestinian friend and I know her for many, many years. She knew, she's like my sister and she knew my par parents so well. We had so many, we spent so much time together as families. And she told me, well, it's well, just the two of us. And she asked me, Maoz, can I ask you a, a difficult question? Say, yes, you are my sister. But she said, it's a really tough one, really tough one. Can I ask you? Said, yes, you can ask me. And then she said, and she started by maybe, maybe, maybe what burned your parents' house with your parents inside wasn't the Hamas. Maybe it was a crossfire of the IDF. So I said, wow, like to myself. Well, so now she is basically meaning like October the seventh. October the seventh never happened. This is what she said. Like October seventh never happened. So I said, so I told her, you know what? You know what? Maybe you are right. Maybe you are right. And it was a crossfire, and it wasn't the Hamas. Maybe you are right. 
But what does it matter? What does it matter? My parents were killed because of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And nothing would bring them back to life. Not if it was the crossfire or not it was the Hamas. And my mission in life, my committed is that I will bring this conflict to an end. And do you want to join hands with me? Join hands with me, with me and together we'll bring this conflict to an end. And of course he said, yes, let's join hands. So this is why, why I'm saying, I said before, that when Palestinian Israelis look into the past or to the present, it's totally different. And I was so happy that she felt comfortable to, to tell me her present, which is totally different than my present. But what does it matter? She is a human being and I'm a human being. And we together, we want to build a shared future. So if we we'll focus and put all our energy, not who started, who is to blame, how many victims from each side, it's not side against one side against the other. It's humanity against hate, humanity against revenge, humanity against fear. So let's choose the side of humanity and let's build and make a shared future for Israelis and Palestinians. And actually after this conversation, I said, Maoz, you are, you are moving. You just took a huge step in, in understanding and be able to tell others what a shared future is and the importance of shared future. And I'm not saying to ignore the past or the present, but they are irrelevant. Yeah, I, what I hear is if you're able to just give space to people to share whatever is on their heart without reacting, and it might be very different from how you see things, and you want to be like, no, that's wrong. And, and that's even something, you know, in our personal relationships, when somebody says, I feel like you did this, 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 and you're just able to listen and say, okay, I hear that that's how you feel. I feel like that's the main thing, honestly, that people really need more than anything else is just like be heard and seen. And from there we can move into, okay, what are we creating together? And, and also like, I can listen to you because we're creating something together. So the relationship is more important than me being right. Exactly. It, which me being right is, is irrelevant. And that's also again in, in Israel society, Jewish society, politics or whatever. It doesn't like, we can continue argue who started and there are so many within the Jewish Israel society, so many argues and disbeliefs and fear and anger. But again, it's, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. The question is, and some would say, no, we don't. The question is, if we do see a shared future. And if we don't, that's a different story. But, and we need to solve it. We cannot ignore it and say, let's wait. This is the meaning and, and the way 
the way to solve conflicts, if it in a, or, or arguments, is not by focusing on them, is by creating a shared vision. So let's not let's a, a huge vision, okay? And this is this was the power. I'm speaking from the Jewish uh, side. This was the power of Zionism. They built a vision. They built a dream, and they executed. And when Zionism stop uh, looking for a meaning, then it's become the, the state become very uh, racist against Arabs and Palestinians, very fundamental uh, in uh, religion and, and practicing and, and like making plan to execute the building of the third temple, basically, L literally the third temple. That, that's when the state of Israel lost its focus and lost its future. And this is why the, the Israel is a such a, it's in a such a big mess, not just because of the Hamas attack, because we're inside, we don't know where we are going and, where, and definitely not where we want to go. And October the 7th is an opportunity. And also I'm going now to the uh, entrepreneur uh, perspective and, uh, and uh, glasses. October the 7th is an opportunity. Opportunity to find a new vision. Not just for Israelis and Palestinians, but also a, a new meaning for the Israeli, the Jewish society. And what greater meaning can be than peace? I think peace is the greater meaning of all for human beings. So through this new meaning, we can strengthen the, the inside Israeli society, and when it will be strength and, and unite, it will be so much easier to solve the conflict between Palestinians and Israelis. So I, I really think that this time is, uh, can be an historical point in, in history. And I can just, I, I'm personally, um, I'm I'm just so uh, so sorry and sad that my parents had to pay the price. Yeah, and so many others. And so many others. Yeah, yeah and so many uh, also, and but so many innocent and human beings lost their life on October the seventh and the sequence war. So it's it's uh, it's so tragic, and it's so it's so sad. But what I'm I'm speaking just for for myself. I want my parents to be victims of peace, and not of war. So if thanks to their their sacrifice, we'll make peace. So it was worse. It was it was worse it. And I think peace is the only thing that was paying the ultimate price. Well, I can promise you that from now on, my changes, I've been very negative and saying, I knew this would happen and it's only going to get worse. So from now on, I'm going to become an optimist from this conversation. Amazing. And I'm going to start to say that it can make a change for the better. And I see that people are waking up and more and more people are against the war, at least recently. And that makes me really, really happy. 
Is there any other way that people who are listening to you or me can support and amplify your message? First, thanks for offering. Uh, I think at the same time, uh, for the time being, you just amplify it. Share it with uh, that there is, there are people, there are dreamers here. Palestinian Israelis that dream of a better future and that working hard to make this future happening. So just share that there is a lot of optimism through this tragic time. There, there is a lot of hope. We are creating hope here. And you can support us be, by sharing our hope and create hope with us. And I would love to stay in touch and follow me if you can uh, post also Absolutely. my social media um, uh, platforms. Absolutely. So follow us. And there will be more ways to support, but there is, and like we shared yesterday, there is a, a beautiful civil society organization of Jewish Israelis that are taking Palestinian from the uh, checkpoints to Israeli hospital. It's totally volunteering organization, maybe one or two paid. So we shared that they are looking all for Israeli volunteers or for donation to pay for the petrol and the gas for the cars. So sometimes like this is the kind of support you can give, support, share the initiative, support, uh, reconciliation, support shared life. And there are so many organizations on the ground from Combated for Peace, Standing Together, Family Circle and so many others that uh, women wage peace. I'm gonna put those links in the in the notes. And actually, the conference that Combatants for Peace had, like the it was right after the war started. That was like, oh, it was such a gift. I was listening to it and just crying my eyes out. I was like, this is what I need right now. You know, not the news and the analysis and the like that. Yeah, thank you so and, much. And also, you can invite. There are numerous. Palestinian Israelis that are willing to speak publicly. So invite us if it's in your uh, university for a, a, for a live Zoom or a webinar or physical uh, meeting. Some of us are living in the US, some in Europe, some in uh, Australia. So we are all working together. It's a network of peacemakers. So invite us, we'll come if it's media, if it's classes, if it's just a group of friends that wants to hear a message of hope from between the river and the sea, we are available to you. This is our life mission. Thank you so, so, so much. I feel like this was so emotional for me. I need to go <laughs> process our conversation. I'm so, so grateful for you. You have no idea the work that you're doing. I'm so grateful. And I will be, of course, sharing this far and wide. Thank you, Marina. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me and listening to this episode. If you liked it, please make sure to leave me a review so that more beautiful humans can get to this podcast and subscribe to the show. And please do share it with a friend who would benefit. And I always love to hear from all of you on Instagram. So visit me there at marina.y.t. I share really awesome content and would love to hear your comments about the episodes. Until next time, I love you so much and I appreciate you. Have the most beautiful day.